So hey, um, this morning we'll be in the book of Third John uh, as we finish up. I think this means that as a church we've taught through, um, in a way, some people talk about, you know, we, we talk about the Pentateuch, right? The, the five books that uh, were penned by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And John's written five books as well in our Bible, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. So I think finishing up 3rd John uh, will kind of be finishing up the New Testament Pentateuch, uh, so to speak, uh, this morning. Uh, like Second John, it's a short book. It's 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 almost like a text message. It's kind of it's to the point, uh, with the desire to come and 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 see face to face and talk through these things a little bit more towards the end. Um, it's a tale of three guys. Um, <clears throat> Third John, we'll see three characters. We'll first see Gaius, who uh, is a source of encouragement, and we'll see Diotrephes, who's an egotistical dictator, maybe. And we'll see Demetrius as a, as a faithful example as well. You know, sometimes we can look back at the early church and um, we look and we read through the book of Acts and we say, wow. And yeah, it is, wow. The Lord did incredible things. But we also sometimes we forget that, you know, the early church was much like our church and our generation in the fact that it was a bunch of sinners saved by grace and they still had warts, and they still had bruises, and they weren't perfect. And we're going to see that a little bit in the book of Third John. This is, you know, written, John the Apostle John, he's the oldest, uh, he's, he was at the end of his life probably nearly when he wrote this, people figure he was probably in his 90s, um, and he's addressing some issues that have come up in one of the local fellowships. So he starts out and he says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You know, he starts off and he introduces himself as the elder. Uh, it's the same introduction, essentially, that uh, we had in Second John. And it's, it's the word presbytos, which can mean old in age, or also it's the same word that we use when we talk about elder, leader, bishop, uh, someone, an overseer within the church. So very appropriate term for him. Why? Why he doesn't say, I, John, we, we don't know. There's speculation that, you know, uh, potential of persecution if the letter fell into the wrong hands or whatever. But generally, uh, the church has accepted these writings to be written by the Apostle John or penned by the Apostle John on the, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit um, based on the, the way he's written and, and church history. So he identifies himself as the elder, and then he, he says who the letter's written to. And I kind of like this. You know, we tend to write our letters kind of backwards nowadays, don't we? You know, if I write a letter, I, I start, of all things, we start with like a date and like an address, and then we go to whom it may concern. And then we say something, and at the very bottom, we say who we are that's writing the letter. And uh, I, I like the format. Hey, I'm writing the letter, and this is who I'm writing it to. So it's just a simple introduction. And he says, there's an interesting bond here. He says, to Gaius, whom I love in the truth. We wonder who Gaius is. Um, if you cruise through the new pages of the New Testament, this won't be the only time you see the name Gaius. You see in Acts chapter 19 that Paul will talk about his companion from Macedonia by the name of Gaius. 
Uh, Acts 20 talks about Gaius of Derby. Uh, Romans 19, a man by the name of Gaius was a host um, for Paul. And Paul also, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he baptized a guy by the name of Gaius. Uh, most commentators will, will tell you that Gaius was a, probably a fairly f- common name of the day. It would be like, you know, a generation before me being Bob or Robert. You know, there's lots out there. So we, you know, we don't know specifically a lot about this Gaius, except what we'll see here in this letter. But there was a bond between the apostle, the writer, and Gaius, the recipient. And it's a bond of truth and love. Both these guys loved Jesus Christ our measure of truth. They love the word of God and they love to serve faithfully. They love in truth. You know, as we're going to see throughout this, a little bit more through this letter, we get to our second character especially. Um, sometimes, you ever notice that sometimes it feels like truth and love sometimes have collide, can collide? You come up against something tough and we want to love someone and we don't know how to. It's not always easy. And uh, I read a quote this week, and I, I thought it was great. It says, when, when truth and love collide, the truth must survive. The truth in love. I thought it was great. So we'll see that a little bit more as we carry on. He carries on in verse 2, and he says, Beloved, there's a term of endearment. He, 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 he's much loved. He says, I pray that it may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. You know, some, some people have taken this to mean it's a name it and claim it that, uh, you know, if you're walking with the Lord that you're going to be wealthy and you're going to be healthy. And that's not the context here. It's simply, it's simply a greeting. It's simply saying, hey, I hope things are going well with you. I hope that, you know, your, your health is good. I hope that your family's going well. And I pray that things are going well for you spiritually. But there's a huge measure of confidence that we'll see as support in the next verse about the condition of Gaius' soul. You know, he was strong in the Lord and therefore received this warm greeting from the apostle. In verse 3, he says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It was normal in the early church for there to be itinerant preachers that would go around and they'd travel and they'd teach and they'd preach and evangelize in the different churches. And obviously, some of these guys from, uh, from where John was had gone out to where Gaius was. And they came back, and they had a great report about Gaius. Gaius took care of their needs. He practically served. It's, he says <clears throat> that as he was walking in the truth, they came and testified to your truth, as indeed you were walking in the truth. Walking is that sense of activeness. It's intentional. He's been trained in godliness. I think of, of how, how Paul talked to his protege, Timothy, and, and he said, <clears throat> you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine you have followed. Have nothing to do with irrelevant and silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. A training, a course that is set to walk, to go. And he says in, in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. It's active. Take hold of eternal life, which you have 
which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. They testified that he was walking active in his faith. They testified, I believe, of sweet fellowship that happens when brothers in the Lord, brothers and sisters in the Lord, hang out together. You may remember when we were in 1 John that throughout the book of 1 John, there's kind of this, this three-legged test some people describe it as the three legs holding up a stool, three-legged test, the, the love test and the, the sin or righteousness test and the test of your doctrine, the love. Am I loving the bro- my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Am I, am, do I have enough love for the lost that I'm bringing that to the world around me? This, the sin test, have I recognized my sin and brought it before the Lord and asked for repentance? Have I set my aim to walk in righteousness? And thirdly, the doctrine test, what do I believe and testify about Jesus Christ? And as we were in, in 1 John and in 2 John as well, and all throughout the Testament, do we believe that Jesus Christ is God? He was born of a virgin, walked on this earth, died a substitutionary death for us, that his blood's washed us free. He was, went into the grave, was raised again, is ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and is coming back for us. Do we have our doctrine about Jesus Christ correct? And the answer here is that Gaius' walk matched his doctrine. It was, it, was, it was integral. It was who he was, his walk and his talk. And that brought great joy to his pastor. It brought great joy to his father in the Lord. Maybe, maybe John led him to the Lord. We don't know that. It doesn't tell us that but brought great joy to the father, uh, the, you know, a spiritual father, a pastor. You know, true joy is only found in the things of the Lord. I was reminded of in Habakkuk ch- chapter 3, it says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and makes me tread on high places. John found joy when he saw people serving the Lord faithfully. And he says, Beloved, in verse 5, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they were, they who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of my name, or, or of the name, rather, sorry, that be Jesus Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I said, beloved, it's a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts. I, I actually kind of like how the New King James or the King James says it. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren. It's an idea of faithfulness, of trustworthiness, reliability, Worthy of commendation. He brought in these guys, and we'll see later on that there was a letter written, but he brought these guys into into his home, and he cared for them. He gave them food, gave them shelter. It's nothing new. Hospitality started very, very early, we see in the Scripture. I was reminded of in Genesis chapter 18 when when Moses entertained the angel of the Lord. And you you could... reread that that account any time but you know he opened his home and he said come on in come on in here bring a servant wash their feet make them comfortable so they can put their feet up and rest 
And he went to his wife and said, Sir, sir, we got guests. Let's, let's, let's make some food. We got, to, we got to take care of our guests. And he went out and he got, and he got, the, got the fattened lamb. And, he, and he, he, he butchered that and they made a meal and they, they took care and brought hospitality. Guys' ministry was probably a very simple one. It was probably just a ministry of helps, taking care of things. But you know, Jesus tells us the importance and, and of simple ministry, simple, faithful ministry. You know, Matthew 25, he's talking about the judgment to come, and he says in verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. I love that. The king will answer Jesus Christ, our king. Truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these brothers, you did to me. Simple, faithful service is serving our King Jesus. Sometimes it's even strangers, people we don't really know. It's as strangers as they are. They weren't personal friends of Gaius's. These were likely itinerant preachers that came around. They maybe came with a letter of recommendation. And beyond that, he would have got to know them and, under, and understood that they were solid teachers of Jesus Christ, and he did well. It says in verse 6, they testified of your love before the church. They came back and said, we visited Gaius, and it was awesome. We had a great time. We had great fellowship. He took care of us, took care of our needs. And John exhorts them to carry on. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. To do whatever you do and do it well. Do your hospitality well. As Paul tells us in Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that, the, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward as you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent the brothers out unto the Lord. He probably gave them some, some resources for their trip home, helped take care of them. Simple ministry. Verse 7, they had gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Jesus Christ, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You know, sometimes you wonder, why should we support ministries? Why should we support missionaries? Why shouldn't they just support themselves or accept money from the, un from the unbelievers and the, you know, I don't know, whoever wants to give them stuff? But John tells us here, it's because they've gone out for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the name of Jesus Christ. Last week, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and, and Paul talked about that the minister of Jesus Christ, that there's a right to be supported by the body that they're serving in. Even though Paul didn't give up that right, he didn't walk in it. But it is there. So we're to, we're to support people. We ought to. It's partaking in their good work. You know, it's interesting in, in, in 2 John, there was kind of a reversal role, right? Because 
it was like there was a, a question asked and then there was this answer. And the question was, what do we do with potential false teachers that may come? Do we support these guys? And the answer was no. And, and in, in 2 John it says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that would be sound teaching about Jesus Christ, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him partakes in his wicked works. And so there's this support of those who are uh, claiming to be brothers of Jesus Christ but teaching a false gospel. We're not to because we are helping them teach wrong doctrine. But here's the other way around. When we have a faithful ministry or a faithful minister of Jesus Christ, we partake in the reward of that ministry. In, Ma in uh, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, by no means will he lose his reward. We say that King David back in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30 when the, the soldiers went out to war and, and, and they fought a great battle and they, they had a great victory and they, the spoils of war would be their payment, right? But when they came back, David ordered that the support guys, the people who stayed home and held down the fort, uh, made sure there was food for the front lines, kept their equipment going, all that stuff. David said, these guys, they deserve an equal reward because their service this looks different. It's just as faithful as unto the Lord. So we got to partake in the ministry by supporting the ministry of others. But we are, as we learned in 2 John, to ensure that they're teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly and faithfully. So we see that Gaius is exhorted for simple ministry of hospitality, a simple ministry. And now we change gears. We get to this different dude, and his name is Diotrephes. Uh, this guy's not such a great example. Starting in verse 9, John says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to, I'd be welcoming the brothers, and even puts them out of the church. You know, Diotrephes obviously was a guy of some sort of position, some sort of maybe authority and power within this local church, this local fellowship. And it's a kind of a damning indictment against him. If you look at it, he rejected the apostles. He loved to be put first. He spread false and malicious rumors about the apostles and God's ministers. He refused to show hospitality to those in the ministry. And in fact, he kicked out people out of the fellowship who were supporting people in the ministry. You know, a letter obviously was written, and I think the letter probably that's addressed here was one of two things. Um, I think there's a couple things, actually. Uh, the, the, the third character we're going to look at, I think that it was a letter of affirmation about him that Diotrephes ignored. 
Secondly, I think that Gaius very likely may have been kicked out of this fellowship by Diotrephes, and John is writing in regards to that. That's my personal opinion. Not everyone may agree, but I, I think it's a very interesting thought. But the problem here with Diotrephes is, I think the big one is that he loved the preeminence, as it says in the King James, or he liked to be first. The idea of preeminence is he liked to be distinguished above others. He always needed or had a strong desire to be in the limelight, to be the one in charge, to be the one in authority. You know, the, the position of you know, an elder or a pastor or a leader or a minister in itself is not a bad thing. In fact, we're, we're told that the desiring the office of an overseer is a noble thing, though it may not be everyone's calling. It's, in a way, it's like money. Money in itself is inert. Money in itself is not good or evil. But the love of money is evil. The love of the position of preeminence, the love of being in the limelight is where the issue becomes. Diotrephes has become prideful. Diotrephes has become selfish. Diotrephes has developed his own agenda, self-glorification. I believe that he wanted to manipulate and control the people around him. You know, th there's, a, there's a danger of, you know, for anyone who's in any position, whether it's ministry or otherwise, to start well and finish poorly. It's a big danger. And, you know, I, I don't want to finish poorly. I want to start well and finish well. And I, I think that's everyone's heart is we want to start well and finish well. And when we finish poorly, you remember what happened with Saul, King Saul? He started out pretty good. He started out a godly man. He even prophesied. And somewhere along that, along that line, that position of preeminence, that position he grew to love that, and he needed the limelight. He needed people's affirmation. And we know what happens if you flip to 1 Samuel chapter 13. He was waiting for uh, Samuel said, hey, I'm going to come, and we're gonna, I'm going to sacrifice before the Lord. I'm going to come on such and such a day, and I'll be there at such and such a time. And Saul, he was waiting and waiting, and Samuel didn't seem to show up, right? We, we kind of know the story, right? Samuel didn't show up, at least in, Paul, in Saul's mind. And he saw the people were starting to whisper and leave, and he wanted to keep it all under control, keep it under the umbrella. So he went and offered the sacrifice he was not authorized to give. As soon as he offered the sacrifice, Samuel walked up. The result was is as his pride increased, as he came to that position of preeminence and had this desire to stay there, he put himself above the authority, in that case, of the prophet of God. And Samuel, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, Samuel says to Saul, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart to be the prince over the people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. He lost the kingdom. And we know it did not end well for Saul, did it? To me, it's, it, it's an issue of authority. Who is our authority? Do we take our authority as the authoritative word of God, that Jesus Christ is the authority as revealed through scriptures? Or do we get authority mixed up and start trying to put ourselves above 
It's easy to, to get there in our minds. You know, I think of the prophet Jonah, too. Jonah, he didn't want to do what the Lord wanted him to do, right? He said, the Assyrians, no way. Nineveh, no way. Let them burn. God, I don't want to. I don't want to preach to these guys. I don't want them to repent. They're my enemies. So Jonah made a choice. He didn't want to respect the Lord's authority, something he clearly knew what he ought to be doing. And what did he do? He was, if you look on a map, he should have gone up and inland to Nineveh. He went down to Joppa. And then he got on a ship that would sail as far away from Nineveh as, sh as shipping would go. Then he went down into the belly of the ship as the storm came. We know eventually he gets tossed overboard. And he sinks down, 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 down. If we were to flip to Jonah chapter 2, we would see the description of as he's sinking through the waters and he's talking about coming, uh, almost dying. He talks about being on the verge of Sheol. Talks about the seaweed wrapping around his head. Down, down, down. And the Lord provided a provision for repentance for, for Jonah. He provided the fish and he swallowed him in the belly. And at the end of Jonah chapter 2, there's a prayer. And Jonah submits to the Lord. He says, you are God of salvation. I come to you in repentance. And I commit to do what I vowed to do. And then the fish vomited him up on the, sea, uh, up on the shore. And he went to Nineveh. Now, he still had a few little attitude issues once he got to Nineveh. Now, if we get to chapter 4 in, in Jonah. But he had to hit rock bottom. Absolute rock bottom when he allowed his perceived authority to supersede the Lord's in his life. As God's people were to walk in, in, in humility, uh, Jesus Christ, as he walked on this earth, fully God, fully man, he came under the authority of God the Father. And we're to have this mind... We're to have the mind of Christ. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself but taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I read a quote from uh, Jonathan Edwards this week, and it says, Spiritual pride is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those who are zealous for the advancement of Christ. I thought, ooh, wow. The second indictment, actually third, I guess, is he talked wicked nonsense against the apostles. He was a gossip and a slander. The NIV says that he spoke maliciously. The King James says pratting, talking foolishly or tediously. You know, the definition of gossip is casual 
or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically details that are not yet confirmed, and slander is making false and damaging statements about someone. Proverbs chapter 10 tells us that whoever utters a slander is a fool. He was speaking maliciously about God's servant and the authority thereof. In his ignoring of the letter that John sent him, he refused to welcome the brothers. He refused to give simple hospitality. He refused to give the cup of water. He should have had the attitude that we saw in 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's deeds and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. A call to action. Not only that, he exercised like church discipline 180 degrees wrong. He kicked people out of the fellowship who were following the word of God and the message given by the apostles. I don't know if, this is speculation, but I don't know if Diotrephes had his finger in the collection pot and he didn't want to see funds distributed towards anyone else. Maybe he just loved that position of preeminence so much that he couldn't bear that someone else could stand up and have a position to teach. I don't know what it was, but he felt threatened, I believe. So he kicked people out. Rejection of the apostles, a love of preeminence, false and malicious statements, refused to show hospitality, and kicked out those who did. It's a pretty tough indictment. And I don't know about you guys, but I can see myself and some of my attitudes from time to time in in diatrophies. And it reminds me to come back to the cross and repent of them. John here says, when I come, so if I come, in in verse 10, I'll bring up what he's doing. So he's going to bring up these five things. I don't know about you guys. Have you ever been rebuked by an old guy or an old lady? Um, As a youngish guy, having someone who's who's far more wise, um, has many years of experience, in this case, uh, your pastor your apostle coming and rebuking, I'm sorry, it would scare the living out of me. I think of having like my grandpa come and rebuke me, and it scares me a bit. Can you imagine having the apostle John, this 90-year-old guy, probably a little bit hunched over and probably a little guy, because we know as we get older, our bodies deteriorate, right? People lose height and we lose muscle mass. It's a little guy, but I guarantee you when he opens his mouth, the years of wisdom and walking with the Lord Jesus Christ would scare me if I was in the wrong. If I was walking with the Lord, there's nothing I want to meet more than the old guy to glean from and learn from his wisdom and knowledge and his years of serving the Lord. I don't want to be on the end of rebuke. I don't know about you guys. 
So we see that John, he intends to have a chat with Diotrephes. And I believe that his first intent in his heart is for repentance. You know, we see it in Matthew 18 where we're taught about, about how we're to, if we've been sinned against by a brother, how we're to, to communicate. Um, the first thing is, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. And the heart is repentance and restoration. He goes on in verse 11 and he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not from God. It's a very simple verse. There's not a whole lot of commentary to say about it. But I, I was thinking about the word imitate. And the word imitate is to... Uh, um, uh, <clears throat> sorry. It's a suggesting a continuance, a habit, a practice to emulate, to copy which is different than imitation. You know, have you ever had whipped cream and then imitation um, uh, petro yeah, petroleum product side by side? There's a big difference, right? I was thinking about uh, learning how to play an instrument, okay? So, you know, one of the early things you do is you start on an easy key to play in because we're all dummies and lazy. Uh, so we start and we learn, like, the G chord, right? Okay, okay, G. Now, the reality is, is that if I am imitating my teacher, he's teaching me where to place my fingers in relation to the fretboard. Now, if I imitate correctly and follow the moves and set a habit and a practice and I set my fingers down with good tension in good position and I give it a strum provided my guitar is in tune and it's not a cardboard box compared to his Martin they're both going to give a nice G imitation is rock band green button red button little dial right it's it, that's the difference imitation is fake to imitate one to set one's habit. Where is our habit? Where is our practice? I love 1 John when we're talking about setting our course in the light, not in the dark. Where we set our practice. So our third character, Demetrius, in verse 12. And like I say, I think this is the guy that uh, Diotrephes rejected. You know, he's a fairly unknown person in Scripture. But it says here that Dem Demetrius, having a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself, we also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. He had a good testimony from all. That means from inside the church, outside the church. It means that as a, as a likely an itinerant preacher, he was faithful to the gospel. He was faithful to the message. He was faithful to the people he was preaching to. He was a faithful man. He was faithful. He was available. He was teachable. He would have fully qualified as an elder. You know, in, in, in Timothy, we talk about that an elder must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children 
like submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought of well by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into, the snare, into a snare of the devil. He's faithful. He's faithful to the calling God's given him. We saw Gaius faithful in the helps ministry. I believe Demetrius faithful in his teaching ministry. Different ministries, different callings, but both these guys are faithful examples to us of serving the Lord. Thought of well by all. It means that when they asked the doctrine question of him, he declared Jesus Christ truly. It means that when they evaluated his love for the brethren and they could see it working out in action. It meant that when he sinned, because First John 1, 9 says what? If, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us of all unrighteousness. And before that it says, if we, we all have sinned. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. It means he keeps short accounts with the Lord. And sets his aim. And John adds his personal affirmation. He says, you know, Demetrius, he says, I'm writing as the apostle. And Demetrius is a faithful man that is worthy of your hospitality and worthy of your grace. And he finishes the book with a short little ending. He says, you know, I have much to write you. But I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. It's kind of like finishing that text message. Okay, we'll see you next week. We'll talk about it then. He wants to come. It's, it's I don't know, it's simple, good wisdom. Talking face to face, especially when tough, there's tough stuff going on. Have you ever noticed the difference in nuances as we talk versus our text messaging? Peace be to you. The friends greet you. I greet the friends each by name. He's got friends at both ends. We got friends in the church, do we not? I don't know about you guys, but uh, I have some friends that are brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, we may not see each other a whole lot, but when we get together, there's this cool, special bond. And it's, it's that bond of truth and love that, was, that uh, John talked about with his relationship to Gaius at the beginning of this little book is we, we share same interests and we share a common savior, our measure of truth. And a cool, cool, deep friendship is developed because of that. So, there, so the friends at, Paul, at John's church, they are greeting Gaius and saying, hey, all the friends say hi. And greet all of our friends there. Greet them by name. Make sure that everyone gets a greeting. Not just some shotgun wash, but intentional. Peace be to you. I don't know if you remember the opening of 2 John. 2 John says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I love the idea of that God the Father has poured his grace out upon us by the mercy poured out in the blood of Jesus Christ and given us peace and wholeness by the pouring out of his spirit upon us.
when we walk in the grace and repentance and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we can have peace. When I think about this short little book and I say, you know, 15 verses, what do I take away from 15 verses? These three examples, Gaius, Diotrephes, Demetrius. I'm encouraged that simple, faithful ministry, whether it's big or small, is an equal portion in God's kingdom. That we're to be faithful servants. I also have a little bit of a reminder of the places in my life that I have a bit of diatrophies. And where I need to ask the Lord to do some work. And I don't know about you guys, but I think we can all see a little bit of these three different characters in different p- places of our life. And my prayer is that our, our good testimony would increase. And the testimony contrary to the truth would decrease. And that God would become more, that Jesus would be glorified in our lives. And that we would become less. As people look at us, they would see the person of Jesus Christ. Amen?